Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. And today we are continuing our discussion about Open Adoption 101. So this is part two. Emphasis on the open, right? Yes, it's all about open adoption and what makes that unique. So today we're going to talk about what open adoption might look like and really tie in some of our personal connections to open adoption and talk about how that has played out in our family, some of our experiences. And we'll also share a couple of adoptee interviews that we've had on the podcast in the past that focus on what openness looks like or what the lack of it might look like. And of course, all of these experiences might be different, but we thought these were really helpful in highlighting how open discussions and especially open relationships where you see your biological family or help your adoptee see their biological family, how that can enhance relationships. Yeah. So today's episode is open adoption in practice, basically. So we're going to jump in. Ready? Yeah. All right. So open adoption in our family has really been this huge evolution. We knew we wanted an open adoption when our daughter was born, right? Yeah. By, by that point, I mean, we had already created a relationship with her birth parents a little bit. Yeah. So we met them a little bit before she was born, a couple months. And yeah, we had a good relationship with them. We really loved them. And I feel like it was really obvious that we wanted to continue having them in our lives and especially in her life when she was born. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can highlight a little bit of how, how we got there. So we were introduced to our children or our daughter's birth parents in an adoption agency we met them under the guise i guess of um, them wanting to get to know us a little bit more but they had already decided to place with us and before that we had emailed with them that asked us a bunch of questions and would emailed them back and so we had a previous bit of contact but yeah. not face to face so at the end of this face to face meeting for the first time is when they announced to us that they would like to place their daughter with us and that night, it was Valentine's Day that year, mm-hmm. but that night, um, we all went out to dinner and we went out to dinner with her birth parents and their parents as well. So super cool. It was this really awesome opportunity to really connect with all of these people who love our daughter so much and feeling all of this combined love and care for her, I think just really sealed the deal that, hey, this is what we want for her for her entire life. Yeah, and like trying to imagine having that type of connection when, you know, we were matched and then to just turn that off after she was born. It felt yeah, wrong. it would yeah, it yeah. would have been really wrong and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so we really were pretty novice. I mean, obviously we were novices at this. We had never done it before. And so talking with professionals and everything, the advice we had been given at that point was that we should have really clear discussions, really specific about what we expected this relationship to look like over time and to set really clear boundaries. And so what that looked like for us, the way we interpreted that, we like said, hey, so let's plan on like having you guys over maybe every three months or something like that and so it was a little more rigid right like yeah and I think I think early on Lynette and I had this discussion where we said we want to under promise and over deliver 
rather than overpromise and underdeliver. And so we wanted to set like the like kind of the bare minimum of what we would hope for in our connection and like what we knew we'd be able to follow through with yeah for sure like stuff got crazy or yeah and then we went above that and yeah so we always planned on doing more than that but i don't think we even told them that which in retrospect i think just being really open about everything and all of your expectations and hopes is really important but our daughter's birth mom is seriously incredible and as we all kind of learned through this and worked through it it was really really a huge blessing to us that she is so graceful and even when maybe we didn't communicate things as well as we should have always so kind to us and we're grateful for that but also would definitely advise being super transparent and just like I don't know I feel like we talked about this in our last episode but when you have someone literally entrusting their child to you I think that it seems really obvious that you should be trusting them too, right? Like it should be a mutual trust in these kinds of situations. And so, yeah, I mean, that relationship grew and the trust grew. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple of minutes. But by the the time our second was born, we had already established a great relationship with Carrie and her parents. And we kind of had this kind of a, open adoption culture kind of Groundwork, figuring kind it of. out yeah, yeah. It hit, she was almost two and a half when our second child was born mm-hmm. so we had some time to figure it out yeah and by then we knew that we wanted as much openness as his birth parents would be okay with basically and so we jumped right in and just a couple years later we were really fortunate to be able to adopt our third child and it was the same thing where we just wanted all of the openness we could have. And by the time he was born, like before he was born, I should say, we had already brought these three bonus sets of grandparents into our family. So we have like the grandparents who are Sean's parents, and the grandparents who are my parents. But then we also had three other sets of grandparents and they're incredible. And they were all like these amazing, loving resources for our kids. And so we were really excited to add more to our village. And we were seeing um, our kids' birth mothers multiple times a year, too, pretty often. So by the time our third child was born, we had this great culture. And we were just so excited to jump in with more family, right, to add to our village. And so we did. It was amazing. So our third child was born, and we started a conversation with one of his biological grandmas and she was like you know I'm really so sad that I'm not going to have a relationship with my grandson and Sean and her talked on the phone as she was talking about this heartache she was experiencing and Sean told her about what our family culture was looking like do you want to talk about what that was yeah yeah I mean I can actually like remember what I where I was pacing in our backyard and like this summer evening anyway um it was a a poignant conversation and one that led to a really great relationship but yeah her her biggest concerns were that she was losing a grandchild and I talked to her about what 
what it looked like with our other kids and how we were connected to not only their birth parents, but grandparents. And in some cases, grandparents even more than their birth parents, depending on the time. Well, and also some of the grandparents had really embraced both of our kids or all of our kids at that point. Yeah. And as so, grandkids. Yeah. So that conversation was, well, really, you're not losing a grandson, but you're actually gaining three grandchildren. And if you're, if, if, if you want to accept all of our kids as your grandkids, then you're part of the family. Like this, we're all in, this is a lifelong thing. And And I I would say we don't like strong arm grandparents into accepting all of our kids as their grandkids. Like that doesn't work for everybody and that's okay. Like we are definitely happy to encourage whatever relationships we can have for our kids. But it is a lot easier to embrace grandparents when they're embracing all of our kids it's a lot easier to say hey let's spend a lot of time together let's have them over they can stay at our house they we can go to their house like you have so much more freedom yeah i think yeah when all the kids feel like the same type of love coming from those grandparents then none, none of them ever feel like left out or mistreated yeah, and they all feel loved and appreciated, and it's really awesome. And so, I mean, that's not what it looks like with all of their biological grandparents, but with quite a few. We've had some really incredible grandparents who have really embraced our whole family. And so, yeah, you talked about that with this grandma. Yeah, and... Um, and she dived all in. She She's did. amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. it was awesome. And mm-hmm. we live, I mean on opposite sides of the country from one another. And so I think it could have easily been the type of thing where it was lip service. Mm -hmm. Um, But they live in the D.C. area, and we had never been there, but I think we've been there four times now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, they've been here. They've stayed with us. And it's just bloomed into a really beautiful relationship um, to the point where they were like, wishing and hoping that we would have another baby so that they could have another grandkid and they got their wish that's true we adopted a fourth child and the way his adoption we're not going to go like super deep into anything but the way it happened we adopted him because his birth mom wanted to make sure that she had a super open adoption and she found out about us and our track record and was just like yeah like she heard Carrie talking about us on a movie or a video on Instagram and said, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want this relationship with my son and his family. And so we adopted a fourth and it blows my mind that we've adopted four kids, but yeah, but yeah. And it's just grown our village and so, so much. Yeah. We have so many supports. Yeah. So we've been at this for now over a decade and things kind of get into their groove, but maybe we should talk about some of the things that like annually that kind of we do to promote connection. Yeah. So every time one of our kids has a birthday, we'll have a birthday party that everybody is invited to. So we do sometimes do like kid parties too, like where they can invite school friends or whatever. But every time we try to also have a family party, right? Where they can invite a couple of friends too. But it's like cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And it's like a big family collaboration kind of thing. And at some of those, we have 
grandparents of each child, like biological grandparents of each child there. And yeah, I feel like we have a picture of of four different sets of grandparents that aren't biologically related to me or you mm-hmm. um, at one birthday party. And so we, we invite it them to... It was really cool, yeah. To all of the birthday parties, everyone is invited and it's really fun. Um, also, our birth moms have also met one another and have, you know, connected and began to develop a relationship too. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. So we do that um, holiday time. We always try to get together with everybody whenever they're able to um usually like christmas afternoon for some people or like boxing day the day after christmas for yeah, so others that, it just depends on who it is but yeah it works well for them and that's them coming here us going there depend, just depending on the year and yeah, whatever works the best. yeah um another thing that we do our kids are pretty musical and they three the, the older three are taking lessons in piano or violin and so they have recitals a couple times a year and we always invite grandmas and grandpas to those recitals. And mm-hmm. typically at least one set of, of their biological families come, if not more. And it's just super sweet. We get to hang out there and sometimes we'll come back here for a get together or we'll go out to ice cream or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll invite them to other school things if they come up or performances. Sporting events and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. What else do we do? Well, I think another thing that we have going are some Google or sorry, Facebook Messenger groups. For example, with our youngest, he has some birth family that lives across the country um, that we haven't been able to meet in person yet. But we created this huge um, chat and like a messenger chat. Yeah, and so as his birth parents and their parents and their parents, I think it's. I think one up to. F- There's like fourteen four, people. Yeah, in it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But multi generation and yeah, oh yeah. We often post the little videos or pictures, just the updates, and it's fun to be connected with those people and just feel this extra support and love. Yes, and as our kids are getting older, our older kids at least, our daughter has a cell phone, and so she can Marco Polo with her birth mom anytime she wants. They text each other. And- I mean, I don't know how often they call each other, but they can. Yeah. And and Carrie has been awesome about that. Like in the beginning yeah. when, when our daughter first got her phone, she's like, so where are my boundaries? And we talked through some <laughs> well, things. And, but honestly, I feel like it's been pretty. We've chilled out a lot too. Like we were advised to have a lot of like boundaries or whatever in the beginning. And I think that that is important in some families and cultures, but in our personal family culture, it's we're not really as rigid about things like that yeah and so we're pretty cool with most things yeah and then yeah. recently our our older two boys got gab watches and they can call grandmas and grandpas and yep and yep. <laughs> we're, we're working on that one making sure they don't use them in school and everything but it's been really cool to try to start giving them the reins in some of these relationships too have a little bit more autonomy yeah and one of them says you know i miss grandma so-and-so and i'm like well let's call her you or you have her number why don't you send her a text and i love you or something like that and it's been it's been sweet yeah it's awesome uh one of my favorite things we do actually uh the grandma that we talked about a little earlier our third child's bio grandma she's amazing she and her husband are both awesome and they had this brilliant idea to play bingo over zoom yeah and so they sent us like a big package 
one day, it's been a couple of years, it was during 2020, but like a big bingo set and a bunch of prizes and treats and stuff that could be bingo snacks and prizes. Yeah. And so fun. So we will play bingo with them on Zoom and we have all the gear, they have the gear. And so we can just bond that way. And technology really does make it so easy to connect even when you're not able to jump on a plane yeah and that's really see someone nice. face to face yeah i also thought of another thing that happens kind of annually we have a our, our second he has a set of biological grandparents that live not too far away and every year there's a state holiday where they kind of have a big family party and if we're not traveling that weekend or that week um we're always invited and i i remember uh, or they always have these really big like blow up water slides and stuff at, in the backyard. And um, the kids even now would just reflect on those fun memories. And it's it's important for us to build those bonds and create those memories. And they reflect back on them re- um, pretty regularly. And ultimately, I think they are experiencing what we're hoping for with open adoption, just a lot of connection and a lot of love and support. It's awesome. I agree. So that's essentially, I think, what open adoption kind of looks like in our family and our culture. And it's not, you know, super by the book or whatever, but that's what works well for us. And I feel like it's been incredibly empowering, but it didn't just happen, right? So, for example, if we're looking at our relationship with Carrie, in the very beginning, years ago, we were really a lot more structured. We'd schedule visits. We'd have a specified number of times each year that we'd plan on visiting. And then we always said, like, you can text us or call us anytime because it seemed silly to be, yeah, like, that rigid. Crazy. But over time, like, when our daughter was three years old, I remember we were going out of town. We'd, have, we'd had a trip scheduled for me and Sean, and our babysitter fell through. And so we called her and said, Hey, could you help us out right now? Like, could you come over and babysit our two kids? while we're out of town for this overnight trip and she was awesome i was like yeah i'll come and we had zero worries like zero completely trusted that they were going to be so safe and well cared for and they were they were great and then a couple years later and i feel like that relationship got even closer and it just felt so organic right just i mean I'd, i'd compare it to like she's like our sister right i mean yeah. it's not it's probably not the exact same, but it it feels like that yeah, kind yeah, of definitely. relationship to me. Well, and it's it's really interesting to look now. It's been mm-hmm. almost twelve years, um, and in that very beginning, or even pre connecting with her, imagining someday one of our children's birth moms staying in our house watching our kids while we're gone and out of the house. That for totally a night. would have freaked us out. It totally, yeah. yeah, that totally seemed so weird. But as you live something, it can, like, the weirdness really fades away. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like in the beginning, too, we were probably a little more possessive of the idea of, hey, we are mom and dad, and we are the only mom and dad, right? Yeah. But over time, we've realized we're not, like, the only mom and dad, right? Like, a biological mother and a biological father, they're also legitimately part of our kids, and they can claim them, too. And so... We've really tried to help our kids feel comfortable recognizing that our family is just not as traditional as other kids. And 
hopefully they feel comfortable voicing that however they want to. But my daughter, we've talked specifically about this. And I said, hey, how do you think of it? And she's like, well, I have two moms and I have two dads. And that's her reality and that's how she likes to see it. So we were at therapy a while ago with a new therapist and he asked her, about her real mom and she got so mad and she was just like livid with this therapist but didn't really know how to say it she was just so cute and just kind of like struggling to express what she wanted to him and I was trying to be you know a good therapy mom and sit in the corner (laughs) and not say anything but I could see her just struggling and she's just like no 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 I have two real moms like they're both real like you can't say real like and she was so upset that he didn't seem to understand this but it's been really rewarding to see each of our kids as they grow and mature and process their stories in their own way right yeah i'm sure it's going to be different yeah well even last week this is kind of a tangent but i picked up the kids from school and our second said yeah dad not very many people at school were adopted i was like yeah i know buddy and and he's like yeah it's pretty cool i was like what's cool about it he's like I have so much more family than other kids do. It's awesome. And that was just a really cool kind of organic thing that came up one day. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and of course there's hard things too for them. Yeah. Where they have days where they're like, you know, I'm really sad about this. And I think we've gotten, knock on wood, but I think we're getting better at trying to listen without projecting anything on them, right? And so uh, my kids were all in the car a couple weeks ago and one of my kids was sad about something and we were talking for a minute and it came out that they were kind of sad that they hadn't seen their birth mom for a while for a couple of months and I was like yeah that's a sad thing and then one of the other kids kind of looked at them and said well but you don't need to be sad about that right because we have these other family members that we do see and I was like well you're allowed to still feel sad about that and I told all of them and I hope that they took this seriously. But I said, you know, you can feel whatever you want to feel about your adoption and your story. Like, it's okay if you want to feel, like if you feel sad about adoption and you feel like you're missing somebody and you wonder about what life would be like if you lived with your birth mom and you also still love us and you're happy with us. Like, you can feel both of these things. Like, there's... It's okay to have space for multiple feelings that kind of seem like they might conflict. Yeah. And luckily with the connections that we have, it's not hard for us to, you know, create a quick video and send it to a birth parent or a grandparent and just ask how they're doing. And it's often that we'll get a pretty quick response as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and with those connections, um, even 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 in the hard times, um, they're able to kind of process a little bit better um and and talk through it yeah yeah so i mean these relationships and our efforts into having open adoptions it's all a work in progress we don't really like have all the answers obviously but we are sharing this because we feel like it's super valuable and important to bring our kids more love to try to help them have a better sense of their identity and a better feeling of control of like themselves and I don't know, just ultimately more love, right? That's our goal. So I think these conversations are important, even if we're still learning and 
But yeah, so we have these relationships and honestly, I would say that they've been really enriching and like huge blessings to both us, right? But that's not the point. The yeah. point is to help our kids and to bring them that connection. But I do feel like even for the grown-ups, for lack of a better word, right? For the grown-ups in these relationships, for us, for their biological families, I think it really has been such a huge source of connection mm-hmm. and love and support where we just have really benefited too. And we know that some of their biological family definitely feels this too because they've told us things like, I have a couple of thoughts here. We had one set of grandparents who said, you know, instead of feeling like we lost a granddaughter, we feel like we've gained another son and another daughter. So ultimately, like, their family's grown. And then we have another set who said, you know, from the beginning, we've felt welcomed in their home and their lives, and we feel a connection, that connection of family. And they've all embraced us as grandparents to all of their children. We've felt loved as such. Their family really has become part of our family. And so, I mean, hearing these thoughts from our family, right, from our kids' biological family who's become family to all of us has been incredibly touching and just so rewarding. And, yeah, we we feel super blessed to have these relationships. But, you know, these healthy relationships don't just happen. They usually take a lot of work, and there's definitely rough patches, and there's definitely a lot of times where we need to forgive and be forgiven and seek grace from each other right because these are normal family relationships where they're not all perfect do you have anything to say about that yeah it's true i mean there's sometimes we say things or somebody else says some things just like in any family or any relationship that you're like man i shouldn't have said that or man i wish they wouldn't have said that and (laughs) you get over it just like you do with other people that you love um i think we're going to transition just a little bit and talk about some experiences that others have had. I mean, we've we've lived our experience and we can share that, um, but we've also interviewed a lot of people on the podcast and I think we're gonna highlight two in this episode. Um, the first is Jamie and she grew up in a closed adoption situation. Um, and in her particular case, she never talked about being adopted with her adoptive parents and In this clip, she's going to share a little bit about what it was like when she did reconnect with her biological family and um, her comfort level of telling her mom, her adoptive mother, about that connection. You know, I am in reunion. However, since we didn't talk about being adopted growing up, I also didn't ever talk about searching or being in reunion. So I, I searched from the time I, I went off to college and I uh, found my maternal side of the family and was reunited with them for about 10 years before I ever was able to talk to my adoptive mom to let her know I had even searched, much, much less that I had found them or that. I knew them and I had been reunited. So, and I, by the time I told her, I had found my paternal side as well. So, um, so my adoptive mom had told me once when we're now talking about my reunion, because we now have been able to discuss things, not everything, but most things, so to say. And she said, you know, she thought that I, that 
if she was adopted, she would have never had any desire to find out anything about her first family or to, to find them like, well, right. Because you grew up with your family. So you don't know what it's like to not have them there. Right. So she thought, I guess that maybe I wouldn't have that need. I don't know. But, um, once she has actually seen me in reunion, so she has actually spent time with me and some biological family. She's quite amazed at how much we're similar and kind of how much I needed that. And she actually now has said she thought she would not have wanted to know, but now she's like, I, I think, yeah, I probably actually would have wanted to know too. So ultimately she ends up having a reunification, right? Um, ultimately her adoptive mother's kind of tune turns, but um, I bet there's a sense of regret in that adoptive mom's life and saying, ah, I wish I could have, I wish that she could have felt comfortable coming to me and talking to me. Yeah. 10 years, 10 years of being reunified without telling your biological parent, your adoptive, your adoptive parent. parent. Um, and so for us, when, when Jamie shared that story with us, it helped just kind of re solidify our desire to have this connection. And, Ultimately, our kids at some point are going to drive those relationships. We're doing what we can to facilitate them now, but we just want to lay the foundation and groundwork so that it exists when they're really ready for it. Yeah, and when we talk about open adoption, we're talking about like relationships, right? Like having connections, but you can't always control. Like maybe the biological family doesn't want that, but as an adoptive parent, you can always control having open dialogues and creating that psychological safety to talk about these hard things, being a safe space for that. And so, I mean, that is something that you are completely in control of. And I think it's a really important lesson to us that we want to make sure that we are open to these discussions and even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Um, we're going to contrast that last experience from Jamie with Dakota. Uh, we er, we interviewed Dakota really early on in the podcast. Um, it's almost been two years now, which yeah. is kind of crazy. And Dakota had an open adoption. For all of his life, or at least Since as long he as like he can one. remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to play this clip. And I mean, you can compare and contrast the two and see what benefits would potentially be the case. So we'll jump to that clip now. But because I was so young when my parents reconnected with my birth mom, it was like, like I never questioned any of it. I always knew each other's purpose and place in our family because she is family, but it's, I don't know how to like, no relationship can be compared to like a birth mom and an adopted child. But if I were to, it's like kind of like an aunt like an aunt, she's like my aunt, right? Like I love her, I respect her, but she's not my mom. Um, so what's really crazy is I may be fibbing a little bit here because I was so young, but her husband lost her job and they lived semi, like semi close to my family. So when I was really young, um, her and her husband, not my birth dad, ended up like moving in with my family for several months. So, you know, I just like, I saw her all over the place. Like I w woke up and hung out with my half brother that was, two or three at the time. I think I was like four, maybe five. 
So he's just a little younger than me. We were like best friends. So obviously just like being aware of situations, like it was just an ideal situation for me. As I grew up, she was always in my life. It was really cool. Obviously I, I didn't have her around as much as I wanted to at some points. And some points I had her around more than I wanted to, right? Um, my family moved <laughs> to literally the middle of nowhere when I was like 10 years old. We went moved to Monticello, Utah, which is like five hours from where she lived. But once a year, my baseball team got to go to state in like the Utah Valley. And it was just one of the coolest things ever. I was so excited to play baseball. Baseball was like my first love. It was like one of the most touching experiences looking over in the stands and like seeing my birth mom and her kids over there. At that point, it's not like your aunt, right? It's just, wow, that's so cool. I love her so much. And I actually talk to her all the time right now, but this is just like bringing back so much emotion as I talk about it because like I didn't realize how much she loved or cared about me growing up. I was just like, she was there. So of course, every adoptee is going to be having different experiences. Every adoption story is different, right? So we can't just listen to these two thoughts or experiences of adoptees and say that's how it is for everybody because it's not. But I think it really is so telling to listen to these two experiences and see the difference it made for these people. And we have a lot of interviews on our podcast with adoptees that you can listen to and find other similar threads of how open connections and open dialogue can help improve an adoptee's sense of identity and belonging. Yeah, and almost, I can't say every, but many, many of those that we've talked with that grew up in a closed adoption situation at some point in their life, whether it's when they're 14 years old or 50 years old, have this desire um, get to the point where they act and they actively seek and search. And they yearn for this connection. And ultimately, I mean, ultimately, we, we can't rewrite history. You can't rewrite people's stories. But um, maybe if they had had that connection early on um, or known more, then that yearning that comes would have already been filled. Yeah, well, and of course, we always want to do the best we can for our kids. Always. And from what we know, from all of the research we've read and the people we've talked to, it seems really clear that open adoption is the best thing we can be doing for our kids. We can't change the fact that they were adopted, but the best thing we can do to help them to feel confident and and whole is to talk openly and have these relationships with their biological family and as adoptive parents it's really our role to try to facilitate these relationships and help make them a positive experience for our kids yeah and i mean you're you're talking about wholeness right um that reminds me of a quote from the open-hearted way to open adoption so this is a great book we recommended it in the last episode it's a few years old now but this is my biggest favorite takeaway from the book. It says, Adoption creates a split between a child's biography and her biology. Openness is an effective way to heal that split and help your child grow up whole. And I just love that. That imagery that having these open adoption relationships can really ultimately help our kids to heal that split that they're very likely going to feel that void can be filled by having these connections yeah 
So I think, I mean, one invitation we could give you if you want to know more is go back and find some of those adoptee interviews. Yeah, not just on our podcast. Find adoptees yeah, and listen talk. to adoptees. Follow adoptees on Instagram. Find adoptees that you can listen to. And try to listen to lots of different adoptee perspectives because there are many different ones, right? And you want to understand adoptees, listen to as many as you can. Yeah, and be balanced mm -hmm. in that approach. Yeah. Yeah, so on our podcast, we recommend all of our adoptee interviews. And honestly, I'd also recommend all of our biological parent interviews, too. And there's a couple of episodes that I feel like can create a bit more of a detailed picture of openness, like we've discussed in this episode, that I'd recommend. Yeah, so Dakota and Jamie, we talked about. You can go back and listen to their episodes, but we have a couple more. So there's one with Shane and Alicia, and they're foster parents and have just a great connection with the biological family of the kids that they foster. And just. So it's basically like open adoption, but it's open foster, right? Yeah. And. And I mean, their situation is unique and every situation is unique, but, but just like, some yeah, of the lessons they really teach cool lessons. and yeah, yeah. It, it would be good for you to listen to. Mm -hmm. And then another one we did um, was called Adoptee Focused Language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that one's a really important one. Also, just making sure that we're respecting adoptees and their preferences in language that we use. And then we also have an adoption professional Q&A episode. It's with Kim Perry. She's a licensed social worker. And I think it's the closest thing we have to like an adoption 101 episode at this point. Like, you know, without the open focus. We talk about it in that episode. But I think that's a good one too. And then Sean made this really great episode. Um, it was kind of a last minute idea he had when I was sick during season two. We were going to wrap up our season with an episode and I ended up being really unwell and so Sean put together this episode that was Adoptee Voices. It's a montage of adoptee stories from our second season of the podcast and it gives this really broad overview of different themes and differences throughout that whole season of interviews with adoptees. Yeah because you ask an adoptee the same question as the other 50 <laughs> and everyone has a different answer and everyone is unique. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's instructive as an adoptive parent to listen to those that have a collective voice and how they differ from one another. Mm -hmm. So we have three action items, particularly for prospective adoptive parents, anyone listening to this episode. These are our three takeaways that we're hoping that you can take home from this. The first one is to have clear discussions before an adoption takes place. Prospective adoptive parents, we want you to be completely honest and transparent about what you see this relationship looking like one month out, a year out, five years out, 12 years out. I mean, get really specific and talk about what you expect things to look like over the course of time. Make sure that you're really honest, really transparent, and do not overpromise. You need to be completely invested and committed to following through with whatever you're saying that you're going to do. Also, make sure that you make space for and invite some honest feedback from the biological family. Like, sincerely seek information and see how they're doing. You know, we've noticed that a lot of biological moms, after they place a child for adoption, they just are like, well, maybe this isn't perfect, but I don't want to get booted out, right? And that's really not a fair way to have them feeling. So make sure that the biological family, especially the bio mom, bio dad, make sure the bio mom knows 
that you really value her, that you want this to be a cooperative relationship, and actively seek feedback on how the relationship is doing, how it's feeling, so that you can improve it. Yeah, our second invitation or action item for you would be to listen to Adoptee Voices. Obviously, we've mentioned that here already, but this is for everyone, right? This is for us, um, for bio parents, grandparents, uh, you know, adoptive parents, um, especially adoptive parents. We need to listen to Adoptee Voices and don't listen in an echo chamber. Don't only listen to things that you want to hear. It's important to hear a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, some of these perspectives might challenge you and they might be hard to hear. And I feel like it's really sad that we have to say this, but sometimes we see adoptive parents getting really antagonistic and challenging adoptees who have opinions that might make them feel threatened. So, of course, I think it's really obvious, but just to be clear, be respectful. This is not about you. It's not about your feelings. And I think our opinion would be if you want to adopt, you need to be doing all of this work beforehand to make sure that you're well and stable. It's not about you. And you shouldn't be attacking adoptees who have opinions you don't like. I think that's so sad. Yeah. That so that happens. Yeah. Be well versed in adoptee experiences. It will it will only help you be a better parent. Mm-hmm. And then third, our last challenge for you is to commit to making this a lifelong educational process. That's a big part of why we're here, obviously, also to share adoptee voices, but also to promote continual learning to make it a lifelong endeavor. All right. Well, I hope that this series has been helpful talking about open adoption. Next week, we'll be back with an interview with a first mother, and it's a really powerful story. She is incredible. We're excited to share that one. And then the few episodes after that, um, we have several adult adoptees who grew up in open adoption situations. We're really excited to share these. Also, just a quick little call out. We are always looking for more adoptees to talk to, but especially adoptees who grew up in an open adoption is kind of our thing that we've been focusing a little more on lately. And so anytime, if we have any adoptees listening that are in, who are interested in sharing their stories, we would love to have you on the show. And if you grew up in an open adoption, would also love to talk about that with you on the show if you're willing and interested in that. Yeah, so reach out to us on Instagram or at Open Adoption Project. Or you can email us at openadoptionproject at gmail.com. And do you want to tell them about the adoption in the media that's happening? Yeah. So on Thursday this week, we have another adoption in the media discussion. It's going to be on Zoom. So if you would like to join, you can go to our website and find the link there to register. So you can get all of that information. But it's going to be focused on more foster care and that portrayal in the yeah, media. Yeah, foster to adopt. Yep. And so we mentioned Shane and Alicia, and they are actually going to be leading that discussion. And we're really excited for it. We have quite a few people who have RSVP'd, including adoptees and biological parents and adoptive parents. And so anyone who's interested in coming, we would love to have you there. Yeah, we're talking this time about the movie Instant Family. Mm-hmm. And uh, the obviously, I mean, the whole movie is themed uh, about this family bringing into their home three children um, as foster parents. So we're looking forward to having a great discussion about that movie. One more quick thing that we wanted to mention is we do have a newsletter. If you're interested, you can subscribe to our newsletter at openadoptionproject.org. We share content about once a month 
about adoption. Thank you so much for being here. We are so grateful for all of you and for your interactions with us. And if you ever have more questions about open adoption or would like us to discuss in depth something else, we're always open to suggestions. Please reach out to connect and connect with us in any way you can. Yeah, it's such a learning curve. I feel like we're still learning. I don't think we're ever going to stop learning in the adoption world, which is kind of daunting and exhausting to think about. But I think it's really important to recognize that we're still on that learning journey and we're really grateful to have so many of you here with us, learning with us as we continually find new things that we don't know or that we didn't know we didn't know. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks to each of you for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks.